but I was wondering as I was preparing this, um, you know, if the first thing you do in the morning might indicate what is of first importance to you. The first thing you do in the morning might indicate what is of first importance for you. So, you know, you might check your work emails. First thing in the morning, maybe work is of first importance. Or maybe you check your social media. You think, oh, relationships, maybe they're of first importance. Get some exercise done. Health is of first importance. Uh, make the kids' lunches. Family is of first importance. For me, coffee. Coffee is first importance, and I'm not really sure what that says about me. But, you know, if we zoom further out and we think, you know, what is the first importance in our world, uh, what might those things be? Maybe we'd say individual rights, freedom to express ourselves, comfort, happiness, security. Uh, there are lots of things, ideas that compete to be of first importance. Uh, what about for Christians? Uh, what do Christians say is of first importance? Uh, many Christians for centuries have said that God's glory is of first importance. That before all things, what matters most is that God's majestic worth is made known. In our words, in our actions, we want God to be known as the very good God he is. God's glory is of first importance. But here's the question. You, know, you might say that, but how do you know it's true? How do you know it's true for yourself? How do you know it's true for the person next to you? Uh, that's the sort of question that we're dealing with today. Uh, like Nathan mentioned, we are starting this series in the book of Job. In this book, Job is the main character and he suffers intensely. Uh, it is a, a book that our world desperately needs because we all will suffer. Uh, Job will give us words to cry as we suffer and it will help us think through suffering as we face it. But the book of Job is not about suffering in general. It's tempting to think it is. Uh, for this book to make sense and for this book to be of great worth, we need to be more precise. Is a book about a righteous one suffering undeservedly. A righteous one suffering undeservedly. In this, our hearts and minds are drawn to the ultimate righteous one, Jesus Christ, who suffers undeservedly for us. This is key. If we finish reading Job and we don't know and trust Jesus Christ more, this might be a bit of a bold statement, but I think it was a waste of time. God's number one aim is for you to know the ultimate righteous one who suffered for you. And once you've considered Jesus Christ, then we can ask the question, how do we, as those in Christ, suffer righteously, suffer well? Hence the series title, How the Righteous Suffer. It works on two levels. How does Jesus Christ, the righteous one, suffer? How do you and I suffer in him? But today we are going to learn the first thing about suffering that Job throws up for us, how suffering plays a role in revealing what is of first importance. But first, a little bit about Job. God's servant is righteous. Uh, if you were asked to write a few sentences about yourself, maybe you've had to do that a few times, what would you say? You know, I might write something like, I'm Adrian, I'm married to Anne, I have three children, uh, I like teaching people about Jesus Christ from the Bible. If I'm not at home, if I'm not at work, look for me at the beach. You know, these kind of things might sum up the things that are first importance to me. Uh, I, I don't know what you would write for your little paragraph. Uh, Job is introduced in 1 verse 1. In the land of Uz, there lived a man whose name was Job. Come on, people. That's not really telling us anything. It's not telling us when Job lived. It's not telling us who he's connected to. There's no mention of kings who might have reigned as he lived. There's just so little detail. A man called Job who lived in Uz. So little detail. 
I think the main reason why there's so little detail is because God wants to see what matters most to Job, what is of first importance to him. So we read on in verse 1, This man was blameless and upright. He feared God and shunned evil. Uh, twice more in chapters 1 and 2, this phrase was repeated, God really wants us to know four things about Job. One, he was blameless. This does not mean he was perfect, uh, like Tuller was talking about in our kids' spot. No, this means he was a man of absolute integrity. He was above reproach. His outward actions kind of matched his inward heart. No one could accuse him of being a liar. No one could accuse him of being a hypocrite. He was blameless. Two, he was upright, which means he dealt rightly with people. He was straight with them. He gave people what they deserved. Three, he feared God. This is not the fear of a slave, scared of an angry master. This is the fear of a child who knows the loving power of their father. Job came humbly before God. He, he feared God. And fourth, he shunned evil. He did not walk in the counsel of the wicked. He rejected evil and walked in the way of life. And you know, Ezekiel 14, 14, it's another part of the Bible. Job, he's put alongside kind of heroes, uh, people like Noah and Daniel, men of faith. And they, in that part of the Bible, are called righteous. Job is righteous. Make no mistake of it. Uh, in this chapter, God refers to Job as my servant. That's, that's an, not, a, not a normal title. Prophets, kings are referred to as servants. People like Moses, Isaiah and David. God's servant, Job, is righteous. Now, I labour this point a bit because it's really important to remember this as we read all of Job. His friends will accuse him. They will say, you're suffering because you're a sinner. But Job, over and over again, will say, no, 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 I'm righteous. And he'll defend his righteousness. And I think as a reader of Job, if you've read through it before, I reckon you'll be tempted, because I know I was tempted, to go along with Job's friends and think, surely Job must have done something wrong. That's why suffering. But Job is righteous. At the end of our Bible reading today, throughout all this, Job did not sin. In 2 verse 10, throughout all this, Job did not sin in what he said. Never does God accuse him of wrong throughout the whole book. This book is not about suffering in general. It's a book about the righteous one suffering undeservedly. Very important to remember that as we read Job. Secondly, and this is very short, God's righteous servant is great. Now, this is some really bad theology by Chance the Rapper. I don't know if you've heard of him, but he sings the line, when the praises go up, the blessings come down. Yeah, That's how the song goes. Um, it does seem to be the case, I've got to say, in Job chapter 1, uh, just at the beginning. Job has 10 children, 10,000 sheep and camel, 1,000 ox and donkey. Very round, very complete numbers. Job is completely blessed. Verse 3, he was the greatest man among all the people of the East. In Job 1, it seems to be that the world works in a really simple way. Be good, end up great. Be good, receive great things. You know, just imagine for the moment, imagine if that's how our world worked. It would it'd actually take away a lot of questions we have about suffering. But at this point, what would you say is of first importance to Job? God's glory or the stuff that God has given him? That's the question that's now comes before us. And so on to the third point here, God's Satan challenges God's worth. 
Uh, for a moment, I just want you to think about, if you're new to this building, you might not know, there's a lift at the back of our building. On a, on a surface level, it seems like the mechanics maybe are pretty simple. You press a button, the doors open, you step in, then a little voice, computer voice says, going up, go up, and the doors open, you walk out. And all that, just simple, press a button. But if we were here and we could kind of pull back the, when it was installed, or we could pull back the walls right now, we would actually see that there is a very complex system in place. And I think often our understanding of how God rules the world can be simple. But what we have in Job chapter 1 is, it's like the curtains of the throne room of heaven are pulled back. And immediately we're surprised. God surely does rule the world, but it appears he rules the world through a complex system, through supernatural beings. In verse 6, a government meeting is of sorts. Angels, or sons of God, came to present themselves before the Lord. That's not too shocking. If you've read bits of the Bible, if you've heard Bible stories, you'd know that God does send angels, messengers. Uh, But look who else joins them. Satan came with them. The word Satan is not really a name, but rather it is a title. Satan means adversary. In God's heavenly council, in his government meeting, there is an enemy. But God doesn't kick him out. It actually seems like God summoned him. uh, And he asked Satan the first question. Where have you come from? Satan answered, from roaming throughout the earth, going to and fro on it. And you have to wonder, what was Satan doing? Uh, Later in the Bible, the devil, Satan, is described like a roaring lion who prowls around looking for someone to devour. Maybe that's what he was doing, searching for someone to harm. Or maybe the Satan is trying to finish the job he first started in the Garden of Eden, the job of wiping out God's people by destroying their trust in God's goodness. Strangely, God casts Satan's attention to Job. It's like... God initiates the suffering which is about to take place. And he asks, verse 8, Have you considered my servant Job? There's no one else on earth like him. He's blameless and upright, a man who fears God and shuns evil. Now, you could almost imagine Satan laughing. Ha! Does Job fear God for nothing? Satan's theory is Job only fears God because he's been given everything. And so he issues God a challenge. Stretch out your hand and strike everything he has, and he will curse you to your face. One author wrote, and it's coming up on the screen, the challenge is a simple one. Satan is saying that none of God's people love him more than they love themselves. Their love for God and their faithfulness to him is not God-centered, but self-centered. This is the challenge being laid down. Satan is saying that God is not worthy of worship for simply being God. Satan is saying what is of first importance to Job is not God's glory, but rather the glorious things God gives. This is a huge challenge because if Job fails, if when he loses everything he curses God, what does it say about God? He says that God is not worthy of worship for simply being God. He says that God is only worthy of worship if he gives us stuff. And so Satan's attack on Job is not only an attack on Job, but it's an attack on God's integrity. Another author wrote, in the book of Job, there is a titanic struggle between the forces of good and evil, 
between God and the Satan. And Job is the background, battleground for that struggle. If we should get this supernatural dimension, this titanic struggle between God and his enemy, then we'll miss what the book is really about. And so God accepts the challenge. Verse 12, very well then, everything he has, Satan, is in your power. But on the man himself, do not lay a finger. Now, like we need to remember that Job is righteous, we do need to mark these words well. It is Satan's hand that is against Job. So, so even though Satan, he drops out of the narrative now, pretty much until a little bit towards the end, uh, he's constantly in the background. The suffering Job endures is through Satan's hand. It is Satan who attacks. So later in chapter 19, when Job cries out that God is against him, we need to think, is that true? Or has Job tried to make things simple and left out the more complex way God rules the world? Because for sure, God rules the world. In this scene, God is the one who is in control. He summons Satan. He asks the first question. He directs Satan's attention to Job. Finally, he's the one who allows Satan to act. God is in control of Satan. It doesn't mean that God is in fellowship with Satan, as if our pure and good God can be friends with pure evil. But it does show you that God does not rule the world simply. There is a supernatural element behind our world. And God uses Satan for his purposes. Martin Luther, a famous Christian, refers to Satan as God's Satan. Others refer to Satan as God's tool. Now, this might sit uneasily with us, but this story, it shows us that a simple understanding of our world and a simple understanding of suffering really must be resisted. That was scene three. Finally, we move on to the last scene. Uh, God's servant is tested by suffering. I wonder what your test you would do. You know, if you wanted to test people in this room, a bit scary, what is of first importance to them? What sort of test might you employ? I mean, I was thinking about it, you know, maybe we could just give everyone just a little snap of the fingers. Everyone just has the ability to read each other's hearts. A bit scary. Um, or maybe, you know, some real whiz could develop a little scanner that just sits on our pocket here and it could just read out what's of first importance in our hearts at different times. Uh, I guess all those things could work. Uh, but what we have in Job is a test which is, it's extravagant. It's entirely sobering and it, uh, it raises a lot of questions. Uh, but this test in Job, it's a very public test. Because remember, in this government meeting, there's the heavenly council, and they look on as Satan challenges God, and then they look on as Satan attacks Job, and then they watch as Job responds. It will be clear after this test to pretty much all the heavenlies if God can truly be worshipped for being God alone. So verse 13, another day begins. It's a terrible day. But it begins kind of happily. Job's sons and daughters are feasting and drinking. Maybe it was one of the sons' birthdays. But as they feast, a messenger comes to Job with terrible news. And this news begins an avalanche of bad news. This messenger says, Your oxen and donkeys have been stolen and your servants have been killed. And while this messenger is still speaking, another messenger arrives. The fire of God fell from heaven and burned up your sheep and your servants are dead. And while this messenger is speaking, another messenger arrives. Your camels, they've been stolen, and your servants have been killed. And while this messenger is speaking, another one arrives, carrying the worst of news. Verse 18, 
your sons and daughters were feasting when suddenly a mighty wind swept in from the desert and struck the four corners of the house. It collapsed on them and they are dead. And I'm the only one who's escaped to tell you. All that Job has, has been taken. Next week, we'll sit more heavily in lament with Job. But this week, we're simply going to think about what happened. His oxen, donkeys and sheep, taken by evil hands. As hard as that would be, at least Job would have someone to blame. Those evil humans. But his sheep... They were struck by fire from heaven and his children by a wind that swept in from the desert. Who else could possibly be responsible but God himself, thinks Job. The one who controls the heavens and sends the winds. And later in the Bible, both fire and wind will be used as images of judgment from God. The first test is done. What is of first importance to Job? Does Job worship God only for the glorious things he has been given? Verse 20, At this Job got up and tore his robe and shaved his head. Then he fell to the ground in worship and said, Naked I came from my mother's room and naked I shall depart. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. May the name of the Lord be praised. God's glory is of first importance. In chapter 2, which we didn't read, uh, another day comes, follows a very similar pattern. Uh, there's a council meeting with Satan and the angels. And, and, and in the end, what happens is that uh, Job, his very body is attacked. He's like some sort of leprosy, is hit by Satan again. As he sits scraping himself with pottery among the ashes, a scene which is really reminiscent of hell itself, his wife, the last of his family, calls to him, and says, curse God and die. But Job responds, shall we accept good from God and not trouble? Again, what is of first importance to Job? God's glory. See, Satan's challenge to God was that Job only fears God because of the things he has and the healthy skin he's in. But now all things are gone and Job's skin is thin. He's completely stripped back and all that's left is his heart. And I kind of started wondering last week, what would happen if I was completely stripped back? What would, what would be at my core? At the core of Job is a man who perseveres and praises God. See, Job shows Satan, Job shows the heavenly council, Job shows you, he shows me, that God's glory is his utmost concern. God's glory is more important than his comfort. Job was great. He was the greatest in all the East. As an outside observer, you might know him as a righteous one, but you might always doubt with so much treasure. What was the real treasure in his heart? But now with nothing left, there is no doubt. What was of first importance to Job? God's glory. Jesus Christ, not simply righteous, he was perfect. He was not simply the greatest man of all the East, but the greatest of all time. He was, Philippians 2 verse 6, in very nature God. What was the first importance to Jesus? Well, he was tested in a similar way. Satan took him up to a high mountain and showed him the kingdoms of the world and all its splendor. And he said, 
all this I will give you if you would bow down and worship me. Satan does not say this out loud, but he's kind of like saying, I'll give you all this and you won't need to suffer the cross to get it. Satan, God's enemy, never gives up. He's laying down the challenge once again. Your righteous servant, Jesus Christ, he won't keep worshipping you, God. Not if I give him everything in the world. It's like he's saying to God, you watch this, God, Jesus. He'll care more for treasure. He'll care more for happiness. He'll care more for comfort than serving you and suffering. But Jesus, the ultimate righteous servant, said, Away from me, Satan, for it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. What is the first importance to Jesus? But if that test was not enough, Jesus undergoes the worst of suffering. The righteous one suffers undeservedly on the cross. He was deserted and left with nothing but rags for clothes. Rather than cursing God and dying, in his final words he says, into your hands I commit my spirit. What was the first importance to Jesus? What really is of first importance to you? Because the first thing we learn about how the righteous suffer is how suffering truly tests who we are and what we treasure. Suffering reveals if it's comfort or God's glory that is of first importance. Uh, we kind of captured that in 1 Peter 1 when we read that earlier. I have another read of it at home. But suffering reveals uh, God's servants, you and I, as we're tested by suffering, we'll find out what is of true importance, first importance, for God's glory alone. And over and over again, I've seen this reality. I've seen this reality at Narrowburn 10 a.m. as people have suffered. Uh, that God's glory remains their primary concern. I've seen it with my friends who serve God in the Middle East. Uh, it's a country that is hostile to Jesus. They gave up the comfort of Sydney and in return received suffering. And they have stories of being taken by secret police and interrogated and separated from their children. They have stories of health problems that led them close to death. They were stripped back layer upon layer and yet they persevered in serving the Lord. Suffering made it all the more clear what was of first importance to them. Now if you're not a believer here, when you hear of Christians who persevere in faith, even when their worlds fall apart, what do you think? Are they fools? Or do they know someone more precious than life itself? For all of us though, the question today is this, and we'll finish on this, what is of first importance to you? What has and what will suffering reveal? May we follow the lead of God's righteous servant, and as we suffer, suffer for God's glory alone.